Welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Natalie Dignam. Today I'm talking with Aidan O'Hara and Rebecca Drazley Kolishaw. Aidan O'Hara is an award-winning broadcaster, writer, and historian. Through his travels for work and education, he also became an accidental collector of songs, music, and oral history. During the mid-1970s, he took on the role of vice president with the St. John's Folk Arts Council, the organization now known as the NL Folk Arts Society. His work with the Folk Arts Council culminated in the founding of the Newfoundland Folk Festival in August of 1977. This year, Aidan is the recipient of the NL Folk Arts Society Lifetime Achievement Award. Rebecca Drazley Kolishaw is an archive assistant with the Irish Digital Music Collections. She completed her doctorate in ethnomusicology at Memorial University of Newfoundland. Welcome to the show, Aidan. Thank you very much, Natalie. It's nice to be here. So you are back in Newfoundland uh, for a digital exhibition, uh, but your research that is being presented was recorded in the 1970s on the Cape Shore, and I was hoping you could describe for people who didn't know, what, what is that research? Well, I arrived in St. John's with my family, four children and my wife, in 73, the autumn, and I was to study at Munn for a couple of years, and one of the first people that I dealt with was a man who was to be my mentor and f- became my friend and with whom we're staying right now, and that's Professor John Mannion, Professor Emeritus in Geography. He's a historical geographer, and he is the authority in the Irish in Newfoundland, and indeed his thesis, his PhD thesis, was Irish Settlements in Eastern Canada, a study in cultural transfer and adaptation. So no better man to introduce you to one of the areas he concentrated on, which was the Cape Shore. And he brought me down there not long after my arrival, and he introduced me to people on the Cape Shore, and I was, of course, like a lot of people from Ireland, indeed outside of, uh, from everywhere else, amazed at the richness of the, shall I, what I described as the Irish culture and the accents and the ways of the people on the Cape Shore, even on that first cursory visit. So uh, it was from there then that uh, I decided that perhaps I might incorporate some of my findings in the Cape Shore if I was to do what all broadcasters do, I was in broadcasting, uh, that I would record and um, uh, take my camera, take snaps. So we very quickly became friends of many people on the Cape Shore, uh, Ship Cove, Patrick's Cove, Castlet, Point Lance, and down into Branch, which is actually around the bay from Placentia Bay into St. Mary's Bay. It's the end of the line, or was then. There was a, not much of a road out of it to North Harbour. It is now paved and bridged. And that's how it began. And, you know, I wasn't, a practi- I wasn't practicing any academic exercise. I was just recording and having fun because I sang, my wife sang, and we contributed to the times in the houses we were invited to with the people we stayed with, the Roche family in Branch. And we became very good friends. And not only that, but they also then visited us in town and joined us for music sessions in town. That's how it all began. And I think many Newfoundlanders would be uh, familiar with what a time is, but can you describe what that is? Well, a time is called by various names in Newfoundland. You have kitchen rackets, uh, you have uh, Cayleys all over the world now. The word from the the Gaelic language has gone into the vocabulary generally. Everyone pretty well knows what a Cayley is. It's a house gathering. 
and people have rambling houses and you ramble in and uh, have a good time at party it's kitchen right kitchen the time funnily enough in the west of Ireland in the Gaelic speaking part a place called Connemara uh, they use the word time in in the language the Gaelic language it would say we had a great time last night. It was a time. So not used quite in that separate way that the new that the people... Where's the time to tonight? Mm-hmm. Uh, as over at Jackie Mooney's or in Dermy and Rita Roach's house or wherever it's a time. So that's what it is. What, are, what did it look like? What do people do at a time? Well, uh, they... They have a phrase that I picked up in Newfoundland. I still to this day can't really remember much who told it to me. But it's... Um, it's a very good saying. They would say, sing a song, hum a tune, do a dance, or leave the room. <laughs> in other words, do something. And in the times in Branch and elsewhere where I've been, that's what Newfoundlanders do, and they still do it. And it's what people who like to sing and play and enjoy themselves like to do it at a party. But they have their own particular way down the Cape Shore, and that would involve songs, Unaccompanied mostly at that time, well, and practically always unaccompanied, and um, the songs through all the variety of songs, and then you'd have a recitation, and then maybe there'd be dance, and it might be somebody doing a solo dance, a few scuffs, or it might be indeed a branch square set, the set, and uh, that would be quite long. Gerald Campbell used to play the accordion, sometimes the harmonica. Gerald was also a great singer, as was his father, whom I also recorded. And uh, just generally have a very good time, really. And visitors, anybody there, you, you were asked to join in. And you didn't even have to have a good voice. You know, you didn't have to have a sweet singing voice. If you wanted to sing and sing out a tune and sing all 42 verses, <laughs> that was fine with the body gathering there. They didn't mind at all. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but that's the way it was. So singing... Dancing and reciting, and telling stories sometimes too, mm-hmm. little stories. And when when you started your field work, you I guess you didn't really consider it field work. You said you kind of just went down and. You you are spot on, Natalie. Exactly, it wasn't. It was haphazard. From the point of view of say, I was an anthropologist or a folk song collector, or a serious one. I was totally unorthodox. I didn't wear that hat. As I said earlier, I wore the broadcaster's hat. I also wore the folkies hat. I, like everyone else in the sixties and the seventies, we were in we were folk music and ballad groups and folk groups and so on. And even as a student in college in in Dublin in my youth, I also collected songs which I put into a book, and they were all in Gaelic. These songs because I was learning Gaelic songs. I didn't grow up with them because I didn't grow up with Gaelic. I learnt it, and um, yeah, that's. That's what was going on. I was just enjoying myself. What, did I have plans for what I was going to use? Not really, except as a broadcaster, I say it again, I would, I knew that I could probably and would use them. And I did, before I went back to Ireland at all. Because when I arrived here, Dinny Ryan, or Dennis Ryan of Ryan's Fancy, friend, brought me down to CBC, and he asked him to give me a job I was a full-time student with a wife and four children, all of whom had to be fed as well as myself. And I got a job presenting friends and neighbours on Saturday evenings. And so I played some of the stuff I recorded in Branch. And one of the popular numbers was John Joe English reciting Paddy Caddy's Dream. 
which a lot of people in Newfoundland have heard at the festivals and recited by John Joe when we used to have him up at the festivals. And um, so that's what it was about. <laughs> and you were studying broadcasting, Emma? I was studying um, folklore. Oh. Uh, cult- historical geography, folkloric. Mm-hmm. I took, I educated myself. I, I chose courses I wanted to study by and large. I've always done that in my life. My education is somewhat unorthodox. I trained originally as a teacher in the teacher's college. But I really, that was only for starters. And so I added on courses in university in Ottawa, where I lived for a while, and also in Dublin and other National University of Ireland. As I say, a bit unorthodox, but I was doing what I needed to do for, for my needs. And so when when did uh, did this material start to take form as, as a bigger project? Yes. Um, and what did it become? Yes, well, again, that's a very important question because I had reel-to-reel material and I had cassette material as well, all of which I accumulated here in Newfoundland. Stuff I also recorded, by the way, in other times in the Ottawa Valley and in Peterborough, Ontario and in Ireland. But the Newfoundland material specifically, that sat around. And uh, some of which I used for lectures and presentations I gave to societies around Ireland, historical societies or people interested in folk music or just in the Irish ties with Newfoundland. And so therefore the material didn't see anything at all or do anything until I asked my friends in the Irish Traditional Music Archive in Dublin which is, uh, was set up in 1987, I asked them if they would be interested in it. And uh, the director was Nicholas Carl, that Carolyn at that time, and he and the others said yes. So they took it and they stored it, and nothing happened with it for a while until they decided that, having listened to some, some of the material, they said this is worth looking into, and they digitized it about, I don't know, 2004 or five, with grants that they got to do, so it's expensive to do the, this work, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, a non for, uh, not-for-profit organization, they're a charity, and so they have to get funding. And so they did that, and it came to quite an accumulation of CDs uh, in that form. And uh, then uh, it, uh, in the past year, uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Rebecca Drazy Collishaw, she came to work in ITMA, they call it Irish Traditional Music Archive, ITMA, and she, with the director, Grace Toland, decided that they would get it online. And so it has just appeared online as a collection of Grand Time, it's called. And uh, it's now for everyone to see and hear and enjoy, I hope, and benefit from. And you, you've done uh, some other research about the connection between uh, Ireland and, and Newfoundland and produced a few films. And could you talk just a little bit about those films as well? Yes. Uh, when I went back home, I, I, had a, I did broadcast at home in Ireland on radio. I, I used to work for the national broadcaster, Radio Televisión, that's RTE. Um, but I, when, when I went back again... I worked at the communications centre full-time, but I worked part-time in RTE and broadcasting, uh, radio. And um, I started playing some of the material there. 
and uh, what else? I wanted to make sure that people knew about Newfoundland to share my pleasure in what I had found and that's what you do with friends and your listeners are people who want to listen to you and I did that and of course curiosity grew and then um, two years after I came back I talked to some colleagues who whose documentaries went out on RTE television and there were Ryark RTE Ryark RTE documentary the oldest, oldest film documentary unit in Ireland and so I talked to them, people I knew. I did voiceovers for them. I did some work with them on the side, as it were. And they said, yeah, that sounds interesting. And so we went to Newfoundland uh, in the summer of 1980 and filmed material for three film documentaries. One was called Westward Ho from Waterford, which introduced the Irish audience to uh, Newfoundland and the Irish Connection. The next one was called In the Wake of St. Brendan, which concentrated on the Irish uh, religious connection with Ireland, through all the Christian brothers, the nuns, the priests, the training of priests in Ireland for Newfoundland. And uh, and then the third one was called The Forgotten Irish, which was the longer of the... The others were half-hour programs, and this one was nearly an hour. And that one concentrated on the folkloric, the history, the culture of the Cape Shore and that of course the Cape Shore is just virtually entirely Irish uh, from right from the beginning really and what else uh, that was the filming and mm. uh, that documentary represented Ireland the film documentary The Forgotten Irish represented Ireland in an international film festival and was nominated for gold silver and bronze and then it was in the Atlantic Film Festival the following year, 81. It was actually broadcast in 81, and it won a prize at the, that film festival. And what what's gratifying about that for me is not that my documentary won something, but that the people of the Cape Shore and Branch, that this is them being celebrated, because my interest was always in them, and my, they were our friends, and they like to perform, and every opportunity I could get, I try to feature them. Uh, some people in St. John said, "Aiden, you should be careful. You know these people from out around the bay. Bring them up to the big smoke. They might, they might be overwhelmed. You know, and appearing on stage in front of the townies and all that." I was utter, of course, there was no need for that at all because these are people in the Cape Shore and Branch. They have been entertaining themselves from the beginning. There were no cinemas or theatres except what they had themselves. Mm-hmm. So there were past performers, and everyone seemed to perform. They could all sing a song, hum a tune, or do a dance, and not leave the room. And so therefore, <laughs> they came up to town, and people came to hear and see them. Why? Because when I was one of the co-founders of the festival in 77. And of course, people in St. John's, half of them at least, are from out around the bay anyway. <laughs> and they came to see people from out around the bay including the branch people and everyone else performing they packed Bannerman Park and so so therefore yeah they, they love to perform and it was my great pleasure that they got that affirmation as they had affirmed me and my interest in our, our regard mutual regard and that's what friends do really so I didn't see myself like as a collector I turned out to be one <laughs> but then I collected photographs and you do that and we all do collect you don't always share them with anybody unless, you know. Now, of course, they go up on Facebook and other places, so they yeah. go around the world anyway. But that's what I did at that time, and, and it worked out, I think, uh, to the 
benefit of us all and after that it's just uh, generation after generation continuing to follow their elders who have passed on to us a rich heritage of music, song and dance. And I, I wish we had more time to delve in your research and one question that I really wanted to ask that I think I'm being in a master's in folklore program that we're always asked is uh, what surprised us about our field work? So I guess what surprised you about your field work when you first encountered or first started this journey? I learned an awful lot. That's the first thing. Uh, I learned about, see, folklore, when you're diving into it, really, it's kind of a spiritual aspect of people's lives, their beliefs and practices, uh, the wisdom of the ages, their sayings, and their interesting sayings that you pick up along the way. The little verse, you know, sing a song, hum a tune, do a dance, or leave the room. There are many such things in Newfoundland. Like the time I went into a house and I was told there was going to be a very old singer there, a man of such and such an age, very old. And when I got there, there were a few of them there, and I turned to her, is that him over there? By is that them? He said, oh, no. He said, that man has no hand to sing. He's no hand to recite, but he's a great hand with his feet. So there's a play on words. A lot of humor is that. So I learned a great deal. Of course, as an Irish person, I learned a great deal about about the Irishness of it, you know. And the other thing I picked up before the book I published is the Irish language words, which all Newfoundlanders use. I mean, for example, the common ones, like a galore, a whole slew of them that were there. Um, he's a right sleevey in that fella. Uh, the poor Lang ashore. Uh, these are ga- pure Gaelic words, you, you see, and they're in the Scots Gaelic. I have grandchildren who are Scots Gaelic speakers in Scotland, and my son, too, and so on. So we have great interest in the Gaelic. So when I found out about that sort of thing, of course, uh, that that was the discovery. Um, altogether, um, uh, learning about people's beliefs and practices, the richness of their songs, the songs which are shared by all Newfoundlanders. And I have to tell people in Ireland, by the way, they're not all Irish in Newfoundland, you know. A very rich body of folklore is from the West Country English and the Codroy Valley, the Gaelic speakers from Scotland the Codroy Valley, the French in the Portobor Peninsula, and the native peoples themselves, the Inuit of, 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 of Labrador and Newfoundland and elsewhere. So it's a rich place, but it's predominantly the Irish and the West Country English and Channel Islanders. And so therefore, that's the richness. And of course, the Irish back home belong to a, a, an entity called, an archipelago called the British Isles. And of course, <laughs> we've always been sharing songs and stories there. The English language and the Gaelic and Scotland. And so, so that kind of song swapping and interchanging and sharing is, is very old. And it's simply continued in Newfoundland. But the Irish and the English in their separate coves and harbours maintained their strict, shall we say, distinctiveness uh, of the origin of the people who came to Newfoundland way back. Thank you. And thank you for uh, sharing some of your research with us today. Well, thank you for asking. Thanks. Welcome to the show, Rebecca. Nice to be here, Natalie. Uh, so you are here executing the digital exhibition uh, called A Grand Old Time. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Okay. Uh, yeah, it's a um, digital exhibition. It means it's a, a website, really. So we're officially launching it here in Newfoundland. Uh, and that's because all of the recordings were made here. Uh, we thought it was really important to to kind of have an official homecoming for the recordings. Um, they... As Aidan mentioned earlier, they were donated to the archive in 1993, 
and um, o- o- over the years we've uh, we've managed to get them digitized and now the next phase of kind of our work as an archive is t- to make them available to the public um, so there's the repatriation of recordings of course to the communities that made them but also making them wi- more widely available to an interested audience in Ireland so the exhibition has a few different parts to it uh, with the idea that because it's accessible online that it 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 needed to serve different audiences in different ways uh, audiences that have different levels of knowledge about Newfoundland so it, it, it's a resource for the community that it is um, that it's branch in the Cape Shore in the sense that it has biographies and uh, really kind of intimate accounts of the the performers who made these recordings back in the 70s. Um, but there's also w- what we call the story section, and that provides background about the connection between Ireland and Newfoundland uh, and why it was that there is this, this enclave community uh, of Irish influence in the Cape Shore. Uh, it also provides information about song, song collecting in Newfoundland more generally to contextualize what Aidan was doing in the 70s. And then it looks more closely at the actual trip that Aidan took around the Cape Shore, his visits with the Roach families and with Caroline Brennan and many of the other singers that were featured as part of the collection. We also are aware that this collection is potentially of interest to folklorists and song collectors. And so we we kind of have a section of the website that would have a a more, it's more direct access to the materials instead, uh, instead of being quite so heavily curated. So you can go in and you can search for particular songs um, because, because it's, a song collection. We tried to uh, make sure the route numbers, which is a, um, a a index of songs, mm-hmm. were assigned to each of the songs, so that it's easier for collectors um, and so- uh, si- singers who are approaching it from a more academic orientation. And researchers, yeah, and researchers sure. to really start contextualizing uh, th- these songs as uh, variants of other versions of songs. Uh, and, and the hope is that all parts of the website are going to support each other in in, in different ways. But uh, it, uh, I hope, is uh, usable for people for different purposes with different levels of background mm-hmm. and knowledge about Newfoundland and Ireland. So all of this is located at the Irish Traditional Music Archive website and uh, all of this exhibition that you're talking about, there's an exhibition section on that website. There is, yeah. And then the other half of this is that you and Aiden have kind of taken a bit of a journey around Newfoundland in the past week or so to kind of, like you said, have a a homecoming for uh, this exhibition. So can you describe what you guys have done in your trip here? Yeah, uh, so I picked up Aiden and his, his wife Joyce, who was an essential part of his collecting back in the 70s. Uh, and we drove down to Branch and we were greeted very warmly there by the the Roach family. Uh, obviously, un- unfortunately, not Rita and Dermot, who, who put up uh, Aiden and Joyce whenever they came to visit in the 70s, but instead by their children. 
and so we we spent time in their house uh, a lot of members of the community came over and we got to meet them that way and we had music in the house uh, we also had more a more official kind of uh, ribbon cutting if you will uh, in the community center which took the form of um, a presentation about the website and about the work of the archive to the community and then uh, our, the director of the archive Grace Toland who's the, the one who provided the, the resources for this exhibition to happen um, or at least allotted the resources that our, our, our major funders uh, the Arts Council of Ireland and Culture Ireland um, provided for this project so she allowed those resources to be funneled in um, she she sang for the people of branch because she is a very fine traditional singer so there was kind of a song swapping element to the event um that i i think was really quite quite nice and i think there was certainly an appreciation for that kind of sharing that was happening and then uh, yesterday we came back up to St. John's after um, a really kind of emo- an emotional few days in Branch. And uh, we went to the rooms and we we did a, basically a version of what we had done in the community hall in the rooms. Except, unfortunately, this time without uh, all of the community there, we, we had just a few people come up from the Cape Shore and they sang and we played back recordings from their parents and grandparents so that uh, people could start to hear where those connections and repertoire uh, exist. Well, so was it that people in the audience were actually related to people that you were showing the recordings? In in Branch, they were. Um, It it was children and grandchildren, um, also nieces, nephews, neighbors, family members. Uh, There's 25 different performers who were featured uh, as part of the collection and uh, as you may know Branch is a small place so mm-hmm. people are, are related and uh, people have long memories for for the uh, the performers and uh, often very warm memories of those performers. So do you know uh, how, how big is Branch today? Do you know or how big was it when these recordings were made? I believe Aiden said it was about 600 people uh, in the 70s. I'm not actually sure what the number the numbers have dropped to around 200, 300, um, 200, 300 in in that vicinity since um, since that time. I, I mean, it's it's the story that's common in many parts of rural Newfoundland that. Uh, Economic opportunities are somewhat limited, and um, opportunities for education are also things that take people away. So um, families become very dispersed. Uh, People go out to Alberta, to British Columbia, the United States. Uh, One man told me that his son has been out in Africa working for years. So they they go Mm -hmm. everywhere. It's very dispersed community yeah. there yeah uh and so you have you had the event at the rooms and you have another event happening at the folk festival uh so what is that gonna look like uh it's going to be a workshop at the folk festival um on one of the in one of the smaller tents um and it, it's again meant to be kind of an intimate event and i think that's one of the really important things about the collection is 
these recordings were made in very intimate circumstances and and in homes and through the generosity of people sharing so we wanted to try and keep that that vibe going in the events that we're celebrating so it's going to be a workshop in one of the smaller stages uh hosted by anita best and we've got eugene mooney coming up for that we've also got um caroline liver and her daughter juanita and um vince roach is going to also be singing and uh the idea is is very much kind of what we've been doing over the the last few days is we'll play back recordings of family members and then um it's almost like there's a a kind of talking back between generations with the older generation singing and then the current generation singing so um that's kind of what we've got in mind for tomorrow uh, and hopefully uh, it, it, it kind of pulls people in and encourages people to go out and check out the website, uh, check out these recordings. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, so unfortunately, we're running out of time, but thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. I'm Dale Jarvis. You've been listening to Living Heritage, a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. Find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Our Heritage Broadcast Assistant is Natalie Dignam, in partnership with the Conservation Corps Newfoundland and Labrador ECHO program. We would love to know what you think of the show. If you have a question or a suggestion for a future program, leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page, email livingheritagepodcast at gmail.com, or tweet us at HFNLCA. Thanks for listening.